Dear Excellencies, distinguished speakers and participants, first of all, I would like to thank you for your presence today. I have to say that the Women's Forum is honored to co-host the upcoming sessions during this eighth edition of the World Government Summit. So it is the first edition with the participation of the Women's Forum. And in the face of a gender gap that will now take 135 years to close. So how is that for a timing? I'd say we'd better roll up our sleeves and get to work. As I see since the beginning of uh, this forum, so many inspiring people here at the WGS, my feeling is that together, men and women, we are a force. The subject of gender inequality is now no longer a side subject. It's mainstream, it's political, it's commercial, it's in the boardrooms, in the war rooms, in the schoolrooms. Now more than ever has it become more interesting to everyone, men and women alike, to address the collective toolbox that women and men together, side by side, can achieve. So talking to you about numbers, obviously during these opening remarks, was tempting and easy. But the truth is, I think we all know them by heart by now. And I also don't want to lose your attention so quickly. So let's focus only on that one takeaway. Women account today in 2022 for 70% of people living under a dollar a day. A dollar a day. And they represent 80% of the climate refugees. So yes, it's great, it's good. We have seen in the last century or, or in the last century and a half a serious opportunity for women, a strong pathway. But what's not good is that it's still too narrow. Too much at the top without giving ordinary women, I would say, the power of choice. The ability to say yes and to say no is probably the strongest gift that we can give to any human being. And yet, too many women and too many girls are not being given that power. So this is something that must engage us to act and to act fast. So our discussions today are therefore essential to ensure that women won't be forgotten when building our future. And our two sessions will participate in providing solutions to foster equality, diversity and inclusion in two major areas where inequalities are prevalence, economy and scientific fields. The persistence of gender inequality in the workplace is an immense, immense waste of talent. So today we'll try to answer that simple question. What are we waiting for before giving women a place in the economy and promoting female leadership as a driving force of change? So the cost of gender bias is now qualified and quantified, while the rate of women's participation in the paid economy has been stagnating around 50% since the 90s. And legal discrimination against women continuing in 155 countries, reducing inequality would lead to a global GDP increase of several billion of dollars. So it's a win-win. The Women's Forum was created in 2005 in France with a major and simple ambition 
to raise women's voices and empowering them to become tomorrow's leader. So I'd like us today to learn from the speakers who are coming on stage just now and unite around their stories. Unite, I would say, around collective wisdom. In the last decade, the Women's Forum has also become the leading international platform for action. Our community now gathers more than 30,000 men and women across the globe to ensure that girls and women have the same opportunities as men globally. Our means of action to spread this essential message are diverse. We create data and reports to highlight the prevalence of gender inequalities and the urgency to reduce them. We also gather international leaders during our international forums to discuss the most pressing issues of our times and highlight women's voices on a variety of topics. We call leaders from the public and private sectors to commit and to act to foster gender equality and women's empowerment. Last year, we've published our annual barometer comparing reality and perception on gender inequalities, which resulted in a striking uh, way. Although 84% of the G20 population believe that closing the gender gap is one of the most important issues of our time, one in two people only think that the gender equality will never be achieved globally. So you see the challenge we have. As much as our mission is to give them hope, at the current rate, no country will achieve gender equality this decade. So to accelerate the pace, we need to sit women at the decision table, at the heart of policies, at the heart of programs, at the heart of pandemic recoveries. And we can't do that without boys and without men. I'd finish by reminding ourselves that gender equality is as everyone knows and recognizes a key factor to overcome crises and to stabilize states and governments that are weakened by conflict. So no, today we won't spend our time talking about women as victims, but rather as warriors and active change makers. So we'll not talk about how to strengthen women. They are already very strong, but we'll talk about their strengths. To do so, I will now give the floor to our amazing moderator, Isabel Neiva, who is amongst many other great things, a partner at Kearney. So on behalf of the Women's Forum, I wish you a fruitful day at the World Government Summit. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Thanks. Well, you can hear me well. Fantastic. Good, uh, good afternoon, everyone. Thank you so much for being here today. Our session right now is about empowering societies with the future skills. And for that, I would start to welcome to the, to the session uh, Her Excellency Sara Alamari, UAE Minister of State for the Advanced Technology and Chairwoman of the UAE Space Agency. I would also, I would also like to welcome Azar Damam, a scientist and entrepreneur with a PhD in electrical and computer engineering, 
also founder of Uva, Uriva, and a startup that is basically addressing the the food um, shortages and the food uh, shortages of the households. So, Azra, thank you. To put things a little bit into context, when we talk about future skills, we talk immediately about STEM. Science, technology, engineering, mathematics. And we think immediately if there is an equal gender representation or not. We can look at the glass half full. We have two fantastic examples and role models here today that we will uh, have a very good conversation with. And it's true that more than ever before, we see women pursuing STEM-related education and careers. But we also need to look at the other side. And in the G20 economies today, only 15% of women, or only 50% of the graduates are women. In the workforce, 15% in engineering and 11% in cloud computing. That tells us that we also need to see the glass half full. Today is not about statistics. It's not about, as was said before, talking about the weaknesses or how women can change. But it is about talking about experiences, about how we as a society can be stronger and can ensure that there is an equal representation across all the future skills, and specifically in STEM. So, Her Excellen Your Excellency, maybe you could start by sharing a little bit of your path, of your journey till today. So, um alaikum and uh, good afternoon at this point to everyone here. Thank you for joining us during this forum, and thank you to the Women's Forum for uh, bringing this important topic into the World Government Summit. Um, the path towards STEM I would actually start it from the foundations of the Emirates that was built on equal opportunity for education. And more than anything, I benefited on a group of trailblazers from the vision of our founding father to, that allowed for both women and men to find what they aspire to do, and sometimes even in fields that they never dreamed would be possible. And that was the culmination of my journey of going um, from a computer engineer into working as a computer engineer in the space sector and eventually working um, in government and policy making for science and technology. And this, this path of development for the Emirates, this path of creation of, of new opportunities is a lesson learned not only for women in STEM, but a lesson learned on creating opportunities for youth in STEM empowering them at various levels, especially at, ver at, at the levels of development of new industries and creating new opportunities of development of new industries. And we, as we continue moving forward throughout the institutions, both at the Ministry of Industry and Advanced Technology, as well as the UAE Space Agency, our focus in creating new industries is in development of capabilities and know-how. And that's the first step towards opening a window of opportunity. That's what I've benefited from, gaining that knowledge, gaining that know-how, being able to interact with leaders in fields across the world at such a young age that has op allowed us to have not only a space sector in the Emirates uh, and not only an advent now into new sectors, um, and one sector that you're talking about is food security, 
but also allowed us to create a large impact and utilize all of society. And when we talk about empowerment at large, we need to think of it from a macro lens. What are the various areas within, within a society that needs to be tackled? How do you tackle it and how do you ensure that uh, empowerment is comprehensive? And empowerment is not just a word, but it's about value creation, it's about opportunity creation. Fantastic. And as you said, there is lots of playing parts that need to come together in order for empowerment at large to happen. Um, Azar, maybe you can talk us a little bit about your journey to that and how you founded and are now the CEO of Uvira. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Assalamu alaikum. Good afternoon. Um, my journey in STEM actually started very early during high school. Okay. And um, uh, during high school, I was selected uh, for a gifted students program, national gifted student program in Saudi Arabia where I got um, an intensive uh, mentorship uh, in science uh, and technology. And I fall in love with uh, physics and with mathematics. And that's what led me to choose electrical engineering for my bachelor's, my master's, and my PhD as well. Um, and um, I want to emphasize on um, that, that program, the program that I had in high school back in 2009, and how it shaped my future decisions, um, and, and how the government was also supporting. It's, it's a government pro, governmental program, and, um, and how the government is creating opportunities for women uh, to be more active in science and technology. Um, uh, my research was focused on the fabrication of silicon electronics for heart-assistive devices, um, and that was my master research. Um, but uh, after that, um, I started shifting a little bit into the sustainability and the consumer products because I noticed a huge gap between research and businesses. And I wanted to fill in that gap. Um, so I took one year off from the PhD in 2019, and I flew to California, to Silicon Valley, to study entrepreneurship. And there, I started my company, Uvera, to tackle the challenge of having food waste by 50% by the year 2030. This is the Sustainable Development Goal, 12.3. And it focuses on reducing food waste at the household's level and at the retailer's level as well. And um, I wouldn't have got the, I wouldn't get this opportunity if, again, um, it wasn't supported by the community because the entrepreneurial program that I attended in California was fully sponsored by MISC Foundation. And, and that what enabled me to go to explore, to learn, and then coming back from California in 2020 and shifting my PhD to solely focus on the Internet of Food. Um, and that's, that's my new focus now. And, uh, and that's how I see myself contributing to the uh, economical development and also to sustainability through my research. Fantastic. Well, I can see some common themes there. Um, the importance of education, obviously. The importance of empowering, empower the young generation when you are already in high school, opening doors. And I think my original question was going to be around the challenges that you have faced throughout the journey. I leave it open because with such a positive, uh, I would say, experience, would you like to highlight how have you been empowered and what are a few of the challenges that you face in your leadership journey as anyone else's faces as well? So if we go back to um, 
discussing the aspects of skills, discussing the aspect of how do you marry that with creation of opportunities and how do you marry that with, um, I wouldn't call it empowerment, but I'll call it leveling the playing field for opportunities where skills and competitiveness is based on who does something better and who creates the mass ma maximum impact and who capitalizes on an opportunity the most. From that perspective, the development aspect then comes, and I'll take it from the development of new sectors in the economy. And how do you go about developing something that doesn't exist? If it's a new sector in the economy, it means the skills and the know-how and the capabilities to do it don't exist in a nation or in an economy or in a region or in an ecosystem. So the first aspect about developing any industry or any ecosystem or entering into any field that doesn't exist in any one nation or any one sector or any one area is the development of capabilities. And that is, is highly evolved around, especially if you're talking about industry, and is highly evolved around capturing know-how. And therefore, building the right programs to be able to gain, for people to gain experience from those that are experienced that don't particularly live in that country. So that's the first step in terms of, of uh, the creation of opportunity. The second, if you're entering in a new field, there's massive risk associated with it, just due to lack of experience and due to the fact that you haven't done things right and haven't done things wrong. So it's a blank slate. Okay. And therefore providing a field by which you alleviate. So the necessary policies by which the risk is not carried by somebody who's in the experience development journey, but the risk is carried by institutions, associations, governments um, as you're moving along. So that's the second um, aspect with regards to how to enable skill development in a particular society but, or in a sector. The third is creating then opportunities. So you've got the skilled workforce at that point. Uh, you're able to have the necessary mechanisms to alleviate risks. You've, you need to identify what direction is, creates the necessary opportunities. So where do you play in that playing field? And how could you be competitive in it? And that's a journey, if I take it back to the space sector, that's a journey we've been taking in the space sector. And today we're at the level of how do we go about empowering those individuals and organizations to function in a global space sector and a global space industry? What areas within the space sector provide a competitive edge for them to enter into? Same thing for industry. With the adoption of technology and with the support of existing industrial players within the country, you're elevating the, the requirement of technology, therefore creating more opportunities for STEM. And it's these active measures that need to be put into place to be able to safely empower societies to establish new sectors and to develop existing sectors. So from what I hear is a comprehensive framework with the policymakers, the private sector, but also the civil society that needs to, in a way, incentivize as well the pursuit of the new skills, of the new capabilities and the risk taking. Absolutely. And that, if we take that as a foundational element, you're at least for our nation. So if the first five decades was about building hard infrastructure, so everything you can visually see. Yeah. The next few decades is about building the intangible infrastructure, which is the necessary ecosystems and the drivers behind it. Not only the local level ecosystems, but the global ecosystem. As the economy of this nation will continue to grow, as the competitiveness grows, as it becomes more and more attractive to skilled workforce to come and create and co-create here um, with, the, with, with the dynamics that we're moving towards and the areas and sectors that we are uh, focusing on, it becomes then found foundational what is our role from the global perspective yep. across sectors, but also as 
individuals and as a nation that, that has a positive impact on the growth, not only of the region, but of the world. Fantastic. And shifting exactly to the individual, Azra, maybe you can tell us a little bit more about how you felt empowered or what a few of the challenges that you also felt in your, in your journey to be an entrepreneur and the CEO of Evira. Because I'm sure it was not an easy ride. <laughs> um, for me personally, yeah. um, I feel so privileged um, to be... Um, born in, in, an, in an era of woman empowerment, or, or to be specific, <laughs> that I'm living my 20s in this era of woman empowerment in Saudi Arabia. Yes, um, and, and I, I, I remember the change. I remember that there was a huge change um, uh, in the employment of women in Saudi Arabia exactly in 2013. Uh, and that was uh, led by King Abdullah. And, and now it's continued by King Salman and the Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman. And um, so for me personally, I was empowered. As I mentioned earlier, I got a, a full scholarship to go to California to study entrepreneurship. Uh, and my uh, master's and PhD are also um, uh, scholarships um, from the Ministry of Education. My pastor is also a scholarship. So there is huge support for women education. And I think the education is uh, the essence of um, the, the development of a community, because when you think about it, um, the, the, uh, the, um, the essence of a household is the mother. And if the mothers are educated or are well educated, then that will influence the entire community. Um, so talking about the obstacles, um, I feel empowered. <laughs> I, I don't feel that I faced a lot of obstacles um, but um, I noticed that in, in other communities or in other countries, the, the, um, there are still obstacles uh, that would prevent women from um, uh, doing their best. And I guess it is a journey, right? Um, as, because worldwide, at least in the G20 countries, you still see that 15% of the graduates in STEM are women. So there is a little bit of a journey that we need to go to to have an equal gender representation. What would be your call for action to have more women in the scientific fields? Um, remove the preperception and biases that we as individuals have mm -hmm. by acknowledging that we do have these biases. Second, um, it was easier, so the UAE has reached roughly graduates every year, gender parity in STEM in terms of graduates. Um, and to be able to get to that point or the the fact that we've been able to get to that point is due to the fact of not having legacy institutions that were either male only or institutions that had entr deeply entrenched biases in them. So from a global perspective, and this is not a perspective uh, that would be implementable in the Emirates just by the nature uh, of, the, um, of the diversity in terms of the workforce that exists here, but from a global perspective, removing these biases within institutions and creating the necessary frameworks to create opportunities and leveraging on not having these biases pass through, which is very similar to what the Emirates did, um, in the creation of new industries and new sectors. And that usually comes by commitment from the leadership all the way up top. Societal change is challenging to do if it, from the get-go, but it's even more challenging to do if it's not if it's not supported all the way from top. So we've had, we've been blessed by having our founding father, who is I think, 
deaf and to hearing that women couldn't be active parts of society. And it's through that just choice that was made, it changed society's perspective, cultural norms, and provided us with the right playing field for us to be where we are today. Fantastic, thank you. Azra, what would be your call for action? Before the call for action, I just remembered one obstacle, oh. a very important <laughs> obstacle, and that's the uh, credibility gap. Uh, women are still suffering from a credibility gap. When I see a piece of information and a man comes say the same piece of information, he would be more, people would believe him more than um, they would believe me. And, um, and although I'm a highly educated, a PhD in electrical engineering, but I've st I still saw this in some situation. But I believe that my education helped me overcome this uh, credibility gap. And my call for action is that I would um, emphasize on women to invest in their education for themselves, for their children, and for the community. And also, um, my call for action for the government is to um, uh, raise the awareness level uh, on the importance of women education. Because as I mentioned earlier, that would affect the entire community. 100%. Well, thank you both very much. I think that if I just do the highlights of my key takeaways at least, and it's very difficult with such two great role models, is that when thinking about empowering societies with future skills, we need to really have a comprehensive framework from schoolroom to boardroom, because we need to create the opportunities from an education perspective that follow through and create value in the economy and the societies. But we also need the the active play of everyone involved. And when I say everyone, it's policymakers, it's the private sector, it's the civil society, and it's having more fantastic role models as we have Your Excellency and Azra here today. Well, thank you so much. Please join me in thanking. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and now, we'll, oh, sorry. <laughs>